This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian, with me as always is Chris. And uh, Chris and I had been talking about sort of what we are going to talk about this week since maybe like Monday or Tuesday we started sort of brainstorming. And then everything kind of changed because the Mets just completed a four-game sweep of the Washington Nationals. Now a year or two ago, a four-game sweep of the Nationals would have meant something different than a four-game Super of the Nationals means today. But I think it's impossible to be sitting here today and be as pessimistic as we were maybe a couple days ago. So, Chris, with this sweep, how do you feel about the Mets as of, you know, today? World Series. <laughs> uh, but I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, no, it's... I don't know. It's a nice reminder... We had gotten into a spot getting swept by the Marlins. The 2019 Marlins will do things to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it shows so, you corners of your soul you never wanted to see. Yes. So <laughs> we had gotten into a spot where 20 and 25 felt a lot worse than it was. Um, and, you know, that was something I was saying a little bit at least the other day, not that I was predicting that they would go out and win all four games against the Nationals or, you know, go on to do greater things than that. But it was just 20 and 25. You know, it's kind of this annual tradition in baseball that we're in April and May and conclusions are getting made about things. And it's just not how baseball works. And, you know, I'm, I'm not... I don't have a bold prediction on where the Mets end up. They could win anywhere from 71 to 91 games, and I wouldn't be wildly surprised. Um, you know, I guess I'd be slightly more surprised on the higher end of it now based on the things that have transpired so far. But, yeah, I don't know. But you come off of that, and then you have this opportunity. The, the Marlins, not only did they sweep the Mets last weekend, they went and swept the Tigers – who are now coming to play the Mets. Right. So it's not that hard in baseball to get back to, you know, dreaming on the good scenario happening. Yeah. I mean, like you said, getting swept by the Marlins is pretty bleak. 
And it seemed like, you know, it's amazing how much things seemed seemed dour, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And since then, the Mets have lost Cano. They've lost McNeil. Uh, you know, things have gotten seemingly worse on the roster side, but they just were they've managed to put together a couple of wins and they've managed to do so from unexpected sources and they managed to do so you know i, I mean granted against a historically bad bullpen um a friend of mine is a big nats fan and he sent me a tweet today that basically said that i think it's historically the nats if they continue at this pace will will finish with the second worst bullpen ERA, ERA in history or in modern baseball history. Huh. Um, so like, you know, so the, it's, it's, it's bleak. So I, I don't want to say, you know, this isn't the Mets didn't win four games off of Mariano Rivera, right? I'm not saying that, but right. you know, just seeing them be able to scrape and come back, which is something that I think from the beginning of the season, this team had more fight in it than some of the teams we've seen in recent past. So that's always been a nice thing to see, but it's very different to see that four nights in a row. It just gives you it gives you a little bit of sense that maybe the ship isn't as off course as maybe we thought. That said, in the same breath, I want to say this. This is very, very important. Carlos Gomez, Danny Hechevarria, and Juan Lagares are not going to do this all season. <laughs> we should not be playing them every day because this is their reality. This was a good couple of days. And I think that all of those players have a role on this Mets team, whether on the Major League squad or not, it might be debatable. But all those guys have some baseball left in them. And I see nothing wrong with the Mets squeezing every drop of baseball out of Carlos Gomez. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine by me. <laughs> um, was there one of the uh, of the sort of not even bench players, because that's sort of overselling the expectation for those players. Was there one of the uh, the minor leaguers that they brought in, you know, that that particularly impressed you over this winning streak? Hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of tough to not just go with Gomez. Well, yeah, because of today, right? And and you know, it, it's his history. Yeah. Over the uh, series, yeah. rather, he had a few hits too. Right, yeah, but you know, it, it was—I don't know—it was this big moment for a guy who came up in the Mets system, made his major league debut. Uh, you know, had that exciting speed and and you know talent to dream on, and then netted the Mets Johan Santana along with a few other guys, but. Yeah, I, the, it's it's just very easy to be you know biased toward that, and seeing him come back, uh, and oh, of course the they almost traded for him and all that in 2015. You know, the, the, it's a guy who's been kind of crucial to a few major moments in this organization's history. That's true. Uh, whether it was, you know, really intentionally trading him for Santana or trying to get him and, and backing off the last possible moment and then getting Cespedes instead and how well that worked out. Um, in the short term. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, even in the long term, it's like, all right, they get insurance money back. I don't feel bad. You know, I, I would do sure. all those contracts over again. Sure. Um, but yeah, and it's just kind of like you, you forgot, you know, he spent so much of his time in the American League that you kind of forgot what it was like to watch him play. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing against any of the other guys, but he just seems like he's having such a good time. And, uh, you know, he comes up and he knows how, you know, he knows the right things to say. I think he believes them, though, with saying he doesn't have any expectations on playing time. And he just wants to, you know, kind of embrace every moment uh, of all of it. And, you know, he, he ties religion into to his appreciation with it, too. But certainly not the only player to do that. And, uh, yeah. I also believe him when he says "yee yee yee." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's also what's nice about Gomez is it seems to me like Gomez is the only one of those players. I guess Rajay Davis to a certain degree, but Gomez seems like he may be able to stick on the major league roster for the better part of the season if things go his way. You know, the Mets don't really have, um, you know, aside from Lagaris, they really don't have a, a real center fielder. And while I don't think that Gomez is a real center fielder anymore, I think he is closer to a real center fielder than, say, Michael Conforto is. So I think that just from a defensive standpoint, there's more of a role for him on this team than there is for maybe one of the other guys. And also, if he can, you know, if, if if the speed is still there and if the pop is there every now and then, you know, there are a lot worse things you could have on your bench than a guy who looks like 2019 Carlos Gomez. Um, I, I My fear is that everything I'm saying is filtered through such a haze of nostalgia that I'm not seeing things clearly. Um <laughs> And my bigger fear is that for the front office, they are also viewing this as such a haze of nostalgia that there's going to be external pressure on Callaway to play Gomez more than maybe he deserves to be played. Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see that. You know, you try to be rational about it and... Last year, we, you know, he wasn't so great for the Rays, but two years ago, he had a really nice season for the Rangers. Uh, you know, not not touching on what he had done when he broke out with the Brewers uh, back in 2013 and 14. But you know, he 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 did certain things well. It's not that long ago. He's only 33. You know, he's not 39 with his last season having been at you know 36. Um, his last good season. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's totally irrational to, to believe he could be a good bench player. And, uh, you know, as much as I wish they'd given Keon, Bro- Keon Broxton a little more playing time to just kind of figure it out rather than very sporadic playing time that resulted in 50 plate appearances and then a DFA for a guy that you traded for. <laughs> um it's certainly possible that Gomez could be in that role and maybe a little bit better, a little more useful. 
as the guy, you know, Broxton is probably capable of playing a better defensive center field than Gomez at this point. I, I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt really about that, but if you want a guy who can hit a little bit for you off the bench and start a game every now and then in an ideal scenario where not the entire opening day lineup practically is on the <laughs> injured list. Um, and, you know, he could be a pinch runner. Even if he doesn't have his old speed, he's certainly faster than Wilson Ramos. Um, I've said this in the past. I, I think you and I are both faster than Wilson Ramos. But it's, yeah, that might be possible. But I... I you know, he's Mr. Infield single. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so that, that's been kind of fun. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not delusional. I don't think Carlos Gomez is going to go out and have a four-war season. You know, he's he hasn't done that in a while. But can he be a guy who can be a passable part of a, you know, a major league roster? Sure. And, you know, the nice thing with a player who's in a spot like him, if he's not, you know, you, you can cut him. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot in spring training about the number of veterans that the Mets were bringing in and how that was so different than what the Mets had done in years past, and specifically the veterans on minor league contracts. Uh, we're not going to talk again about Devin Mesoraco because we've We've beaten that drum already. But aside from Mesoraco, it looks like a really smart decision that the Mets had made because can you imagine this roster without those players right now? Like, literally, who would be playing the outfield for the Mets if they didn't sign Rajay Davis and Carlos Gomez? Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see if there's an actual answer to that question. It's... Hmm. <laughs> I don't think they have Matt Dendecker anymore. They had him last season. I don't no, think. he's on the Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, you know, and we, we just before people yell at us, we're right. of course preparing. We know they would have signed somebody, right? We know they would have had some sort of minor league chaff in there. But we're, we're playing with the information we have here. So if they don't bring in those guys, you know, uh, Gregor Blanco, and is, is Blanco still with the organization, by the way? Yeah, as far as I know, he is in yeah. AAA. So, you know, between Blanco and Gomez and Davis, it would be pretty slim pickings for the outfield. Yeah, I don't think, you know, aside from the great Tim Tebow experiment, which hasn't been going well in AAA so far, uh, I, I don't think there was a natural guy there. I think we would have just seen... You know, Dom Smith. some combination of J.D. Davis and Dom Smith in the outfield in the corners with Ligaris in center or, or whatever. Yeah. It would have been pretty bleak, <laughs> to, say yeah. that, to say the least. So, you know, good on Brody for that. But I do think we need to talk about the, um, the Keon Broxton situation a little bit here because this is one area where I think it is – very legitimate to 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 be you know angry is the wrong word. Keon Broxton shouldn't make anybody angry. It's not that big of a deal. But you know, the Mets did trade for Keon Broxton and Brody made it sound like here was a guy that they really liked his skill set and they felt he could have been a big piece of the team. And like you said, 
it's not so much that Broxton didn't work out. It's that Broxton got was it was it fifty? Was that the number that it wound up with? Yeah, I think it was fifty on the nose. Yeah, you know, approximately fifty plate appearances, and then deciding no, we're good, and DFAing him and getting half a million dollars in international slot money for him. Right. And, and, it was fi- 53. 53, okay. And, you know, and look, I'm not saying slot money is not useful. It absolutely is. Um, it just seems to me like this is the first example that we've seen of this new front office doing something that really is pretty hard to defend. Like, you know, I think a lot of us, when he was traded for, felt, well, you already have a Juan Lagares, why do you need him? And I think that there are lots of people out there who probably said, you know, you already have a Jeff McNeil, why do you need a Jed Lowry? But at least with Lowry, you can point to a longer track record, a different skill set, etc., etc. This move seemed like a, a questionable move from jump so and again i do think it's important that we say this is Brody van magadan's first time as a gm and that for no team does every trade work out but this seems like a pretty egregious example of the mets just focusing on the wrong thing i'm struggling for words here chris tell me how do you feel about this situation well, yeah, he had enough on paper that it was a player who you could get excited about. Uh, but I think as they focused on depth so much, there was some redundancy in it, if that's possible. Sure. Um, but, yeah, you had a situation where Ligaris was you know, not going to be put below him on the depth chart, but... How do you really know? You know, I mean, it's whatever you think Keon Broxton's going to be, he's not the hitter that he was in his time with the Mets. You know, his his career norm is not amazing, but he's a hell of a lot more likely to hit like that than he was, uh, you know, in the way that he did with the Mets. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it was a clunky situation from the get-go, like you said. Um, you know, you had Nimmo and Conforto slotted into the corner outfield slots uh, from opening day. Nimmo certainly has not lived up to the uh, the expectation or, or the level of play that he had last year. But you came in and there really wasn't going to be that much playing time for two center fielders with very similar profiles. And, you know, Ligaris has had some big hits lately and, and he's done... I think a little more with the bat than I would have expected, but it's still not like he's broken out. Um, no, but he, he's a bit more of a known quantity for the Mets. And the yeah. Mets are paying him a considerable salary. And so right. if they're going to be going for playing time between the guy who you got, who's, who you're paying the league minimum versus the guy who you're paying, is it $9 million? Yeah, nine. You know, you're going you're gonna to want to play the guy who you're paying $9 million to hopefully get some sort of return on your investment. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think it might've come off as a little bit weird that Broxton himself brought up the inconsistent playing time just because of the way that people perceive 
what players say and you know the things you're supposed to say and not supposed to say um and all that but i think he gave an honest reply and i don't think he made an invalid point uh you know whether or not he would have been good in a regular role i i don't know but it's kind of tough when you're trying to prove that you belong in the major leagues but you don't get to really play that much right and and he he's not even getting the dom smith treatment where dom smith now has an established role in this team he's the first yeah. man off the bench so even if you're not playing every day you can prepare yourself for that for that job that you're doing every night. And if Broxton's job was going to be, you know, um, that he was going to be the pinch runner, that he was going to be the, um, the defensive replacement in center field in the eighth inning every night, if there was, so, I, I don't think you needed to have Keon Broxton get, you know, get plate appearances at the top of the batting order to give him some sort of routine to get into. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, if Keon Broxton is the difference between this Mets team succeeding and failing, then something's gone wrong. So <laughs> let's not let's not harp too much on that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um... But you know we are talking about the roster, and just sort of the the weird injury situation the Mets find themselves in right now. Uh, you know Michael Conforto is still not cleared to play due to his concussion. Although I have heard nothing but positive reports of him physically. Have you heard? The, have I missed something, or is that what you've heard as well? Uh, you know, it's, you know it's all been upbeat, positive not feeling any symptoms, you know, as he's gradually increased activity, there hasn't been any report of any setback. Right. So yeah, I'm mildly optimistic that we might see him play this weekend. Sure. And that would certainly be welcome. Absolutely. Uh, given the, the injury status of everybody else on yes. the, on the position player side of the lineup. Yeah. The other return this weekend supposedly is going to be Jason Vargas. So again, get excited folks. Um, oh but- yeah. <laughs> but you know, so um Jeff McNeil has a hamstring issue. Robinson Cano has a quad issue. Br- Brandon Nimmo has a neck issue. Um who am I forgetting? Hmm. Is that it? I can't be it. Well, I we haven't specifically mentioned i mean everybody knows this already but that cespedes broke his ankle had surgery today and is officially not coming back this season yeah which was already possible but yeah yeah that that actually is everybody it feels like there's more it does feel like there's more (laughs) um i i mean when four of them were in the opening dead lineup it it feels like a lot absolutely yeah um 
Yeah. And uh, are you particularly worried about any of these injuries? Um, not yeah, maybe Nimmo's a little bit just because it's different. You know, a quad, a hamstring, we, we know that those aren't instant fixes, but those are probably the most routine baseball player injury. Right. Um, you know, concussion with Conforto can be a little up in the air, but at least as far as we know so far, everything's gone really well. Sounds like he might get back soon. But I'll say I have some concern because you just never know. You know, he could he could feel fine, come back and play three games at major league, you know, speed, and all of a sudden some of those symptoms might become a little more apparent. Right. Or just or surface. It's just such a weird injury to deal with. So I have some level of concern with Conforto and then Nimmo neck stiffness the mri came back without showing anything significant just inflammation okay that sounds good i'm just a little i don't know i remember david wright had a stiff neck <laughs> and and i don't expect everybody I, I i don't expect really anyone else to go down the path that he did but that was really the beginning of the end of his career you know we the spinal stenosis was already known, and it might have been something that did it anyway. But from the day that it was, oh, David Rice not in the lineup, he had, you know, he's got this neck issue. Uh, from that point on, I think was pretty much when he stopped playing in, in any regular, meaningful way. You know? Yeah, you're definitely not wrong, but I had the exact opposite takeaway from Nimmo's injury. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Which was that I think if anybody needed some time to figure out their their swing and not be pressured under the limelight right now, it's Brandon Nimmo. He's just been yeah. having such a tough go of it lately that I thought, oh, it'll be good for him to to get a week or ten days off just just because it will be good for him to to get that time off, you know. So I think that there's there's a benefit to that. And, you know, with the stiff, I mean, <laughs> I, this is not scientific at all, but my barometer often knows for sports injury is, have I done, have I gotten this injury not playing a professional sport? And I have had a <laughs> stiff neck many times and yeah. I'm, I'm okay. So that makes me feel a little bit better about Nemo. But I do understand what you're saying. You know, the, any injury that lingers like this, like a neck injury to me, I mean, a stiff neck, not a broken neck or something, you know. Uh, right. A neck injury to me always reminds me of like an intercostal strain where it sounds like nothing, but then it's eight weeks later and the player still hasn't swung a bat yet because it's just, it, there are these, there are these lingering insidious injuries that don't go away. Yeah. Uh, so let's hope that's not the case for uh, Brandon Nimmo uh, and the Mets. Um, yeah. I mean, like we said, them taking four from the Phil from the Nationals rather is a really nice thing, uh, regardless of of what else is going on. But it did show you that at least against a poor team, this currently constructed roster can hang in there a little bit. Um, was there any? Was there any one roster move? Was there any one? you know, player that was 
that you saw that you felt like, all right, we really can't do this ever again. Like this is, you know, kind of the opposite of what I asked you before. Like not who impressed you the most, but who, who do you feel like, all right, this has to be a temporary solution. And if not, we're in big trouble. Uh, I think it's Hechevaria for me. And I know he's had a good couple days, so I don't want to discount that, but yeah, (laughs) as somebody who mocked their, their depth a little bit before the season, uh, and, and I think correctly pointed out areas of the roster that didn't have it. The infield was the one where they did. Yeah. Danny Hechevarria playing every day for any amount of time is just, it's a complete failure of the one part of the roster where they could afford to have an injury or two. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, unless you have, then both of these scenarios are ridiculous, so I'm not actually suggesting them, but (laughs) unless you had Todd Frazier or J.D. Davis try to play second base to keep them both in there, it's it's not a great scenario. I I think based on what you're doing with the rest of your lineup, you can choose whether or not, uh, you know, they brought Guillaume back up. You can choose whether you're going to have him go out there or Hedgeferia. They could make more roster moves in the next day or two uh, certainly if they activate Vargas somebody's got to go so it, it it could be fluid it could change but yeah I think even 10 days of Hechevaria starting every day is an issue well yeah and I I don't know if he's going to get 10 days to me he was there just uh in case and once like to me bringing up Guillaume is them saying, all right, Hechevarria is not going to be playing every day. Because you, at least I would think, that the team still feels that Guillaume has potential as a prospect, and you want to know what you have there. Whereas I don't think you can be surprised by anything Hechevarria does at this point on a long-term basis. Um, at least I hope that's why they call them Guillaume. I hope that Guillaume is, if you're going to have somebody play for 10 days, let it be Guillaume instead of Hechevarria. But let him actually play for 10 days. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was going to be my answer as well, but just sort of on a on a slightly different kick, something we wanted to talk about was the Mets' bullpen, which has been surprisingly good in the month of May. Um, I don't know if those numbers have changed since we spoke last night, Chris, but at least as of yesterday, the Mets had the fourth-best bullpen in baseball in May, and it doesn't feel that way watching the games, right now but when you start stepping back and looking at it they really have had a a pretty solid month or so of uh of bullpen arms and you know it's easy to feel good about your bullpen when you watch the nationals for four days you know the the, the team that that seemingly cannot hold on to a lead no matter what they do but uh, how are you feeling about the sort of bullpen churn right now and and how things are shaking out for the Mets in their relief core? Well, it's yeah, it's weird. I'm like extremely concerned because <laughs> because of the guys who are on the roster. Uh, for May, this didn't include today's game, and the the stats would be a little bit worse because Gazelman had a a pretty bad inning. Uh, which has been uncharacteristic of his work this year, but he had a bad inning today. 
But coming into today, they had a 3.22 ERA. It was the fifth best in baseball in May. That's just weird. It's just weird. Part of that is Edwin Diaz is every bit the reliever that we already knew he was. Somehow that seems to be flying under the radar a little bit. Yeah. And part of that is also that, that Seth Lugo has looked as good as advertised this year also. Right. And his contributions still factor into this May performance, even though he's right injured right now. And shoulder tendonitis, speaking of injuries that sound somewhat innocuous. But, but might knock him but, out for the rest of the season. Uh, right. I mean, I hope not. But if he came back on June 10th or August 10th, neither one would surprise me. Yeah. I guess June 10th would surprise me a little bit because it's an injured Matt. So (laughs) there's that. But yeah, you you look down this current bullpen and I I know they've gotten some good performances from, from Gagnon. I did. I, I Gagnon, Gagnon, man, I'm usually on top of Mets spellings and pronunciations, but just, just think about how Adam Sandler would say his name. Ha. That's, that's the clue there. Gagno! You know, so that's, that's the way to pronounce it. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it, it's the dumbest thing look, I've ever said could... on this podcast. And I've said a lot of dumb things on this podcast. <laughs> it, it could go great. It, I could be wrong, but it's just without Lugo, Wilson wasn't exactly blowing anybody away, but we, we know he has a good track record. But without him, uh, with Familia, he had a very nice inning today. And I think if he's healthy, he's got plenty left in the tank. But he just hasn't really looked like he's been sharp yet this year. Um, yeah, this is the part where I say Craig Kimbrell is still a free agent. <laughs> yes. And all winter long... And they can they can laugh at us for bringing it up constantly. If Gano, Bachelor, Hector Santiago has he even pitched in a game yet? He's been up all week. But uh, I, he, he, I know he was warming up yesterday. Tuesday. Well, I know, like right before they called him up, they had he had thrown a hundred something pitches in a start. Right, and so they they were holding him back at least a day for that. I don't think he had him there, though. Yeah, no. So he, he doesn't have an appearance yet. But he had good numbers in relief last year. Uh, okay, sure. But uh, it's not a top five in baseball bullpen. I'll, I'll need to see them do that for three months before I consider thinking it might be real. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's shaky. It, you have legitimately one of the top handful of relievers in the entire game anchoring this bullpen and then everything else is is still a toss-up or at least an unproven commodity well yeah that was me but my next my next comment was that even if these guys turn out to be quite good the Mets couldn't have reasonably known that during the offseason yeah not and all of them no you might you might think one or two of them might shake out but you know if Gagno and um Bachelor are as good as they've looked recently. 
hot damn, that's a, that's a nice relief core to build around for the future. But there's no way the team could have had a real sense of of how many guys would be taking a step forward, you know. And just think about how much better all those guys would be if they also had uh, Craig Kimball in the bullpen. Yeah. And, you know, just to take away some of that pressure and to help in, in certain situations. I mean, how much better? Just think about today's game. If today's game went uh, Familia, Kimbrel, Diaz, you know, and that's no that's that's no knocking Gazelman. I'm a big Gazelman supporter, but you could tell today he didn't really have it. And so if they had gone with him, and then you know he put a couple men on base, and then they brought in a Kimbrel, you know, which makes the whole team better. I'm uh. And we're getting to the point now where I don't know how long it would take Kimbrel to get into game shape. So, yeah. you know, that that's a dangerous part of waiting too long for this, too. You don't want to wait so long that he's not going to be able to be an effective part of your team this year. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, no, it's uh, my favorite thing tweeting it uh, on the Amazing Avenue account is people who feel like they need to tell us that the draft is happening and he's not <laughs> signing until after then. Right. Yeah, no shit, people. Thank you. We're aware. We're pointing out that's a flaw. That's okay. the whole point of it. Like, I just, there's only so many times that you can reach into Frank, Frankiac, uh, <laughs> and, and pull out that's the joke. Exactly. Before you just go, like, do, do I have to do that? Come on. <laughs> do, it's the point. It's like Mets fans who get annoyed when you point out that the Nationals have never won a playoff series. There was somebody I'm ranting about the replies. Usually I'm good about not reading them at all. <laughs> yeah. But over the last couple of weeks, for some reason, I've looked at them. There was somebody today, our, our tweet about, uh, it, it, was a, it was a joke, it was a poll, which one's higher, at the peak of Mount Everest or the Nationals bullpen ERA? <laughs> right. And somebody replied, well, can we really laugh at another team's bullpen? Like, shut up. They just imploded for an entire series against the Mets. <laughs> Not if only you can't. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't joke about this, what the fuck can you joke about? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is, you know, come on. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. If you cannot mock a division rival, like, even as silly and petty as, as some of it came off, although I will say in Todd Frazier's defense, when you when you heard more backstory, it seems like Adam Eaton really was just a terrible teammate. And I had forgotten that he was the guy who had said that Drake LaRoche, the 14-year-old, uh, was a leader in the clubhouse. And that they had lost a leader when Adam LaRoche retired because management told him to stop having his son there all the time. <laughs> um, I forgot about that, too. Oh yeah, yeah. What no, a weird fucking story that was. <laughs> what a weird week, and we've had a lot of them. <laughs> yes, we have. We really but, have. But yeah, if you, I don't care if it was the Marlins sweeping anybody in four games is difficult. Yes. Um, so if you can't enjoy sweeping a division rival amidst the rest of the Mets circus and chaos and all that. I just don't see the point of paying attention. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to probably save this longer conversation for next time or 
or never if things keep going the way they're going. But you know, <laughs> the uh, the week started off with all of us, at least you and I, at least being convinced that the, there was a good chance the Mets were going to fire Mickey Callaway, and it's amazing to see how quickly that narrative has shifted, and how no one's talking about that anymore because a couple because winning four games in a row will really change the way your team is perceived in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I have some Callaway thoughts, but let's save that for next time because, you know, I think right now let's just let Mickey Callaway bask in the joy of this sweep, even though I don't think he did a single thing <laughs> to, uh, to merit one of these wins. You know, a lot of his decisions were not all that wise this week still, but, you know, good for Mickey right. Callaway for now. Let's let him enjoy this for a couple of days. Well, and I've appreciated his uh, his self awareness. I think through all of this, he's handled himself well. Agreed. And we're in this weird spot of defending a guy who we've criticized a lot for his performance. And the part of the job that we can see uh, is the in game management. And I, I know players who past players, current players. Uh, or other people who have been in clubhouses might argue, and they might be right, saying the most important the important part of this isn't that. It's managing the personalities and egos that come along with 25 highly skilled, highly competitive dudes who, until they got to the major leagues, or, or maybe a little bit sooner than that, were the best baseball player anybody in their life ever knew right and that and now they're all in the same room and the Frazier Eaton thing um that was the same season it, the, obviously I already mentioned the the LaRoches that was the same season that Chris Sale cut up the throwback jerseys like Robin Ventura oversaw a shit show <laughs> yes in that clubhouse so it's kind of funny how it just ties in we have not heard um either in on-the-record things or rumblings, anything along the lines of this clubhouse is toxic. That was a thing that came up, I'd say, somewhat regularly a couple of years ago, uh, You know, when things weren't going well with the Mets. So the part of the job that we can't see, Mickey Calloway might be really good at. But I will say that listening to him talk uh, as he's gone through this you know, sort of weekend of humiliation, uh, and then having the reversal on Monday or Sunday night or whenever it was that he's not getting fired immediately. He's handled himself, I think, with dignity and class, and he's said the right things, and he's even made a couple jokes. Um, you know, the, the late comeback in the Wednesday night game, uh, somebody brought up that Rajai Davis was, you know, had hit a big home run in the world series for Cleveland and Callaway was the, the pitching coach there at the time. And, you know, he made the joke that felt like the world series to me you know, right, yeah. on a Wednesday night in May. I just, I appreciate that self-awareness and I think the way he's handled himself and, and one, I don't think he's come off like he's trying to deflect blame Two, He has not thrown any player on the roster under the bus. And then three, just, sort of being able to go out there and, and say the right things, make some jokes about his own situation uh, and, and do it in a way 
that, you know, comes off as uh, likable. It's just, that's been nice to see. I don't know that he's the long-term answer. I'm not saying he's completely changed my opinion of his overall job performance, but I, I like him more than I did a week ago. Sure. It's to me like the perfect example of how we just don't know or not. We don't know just how hard it is to quantify and to judge a manager is the other night I was really getting on Callaway on armies and Avenue slack about pinch hitting for Ligaris instead when the pitcher spot was up next. And I was saying, you know, you don't do that because you need the defense defense, whatever, blah, blah. blah. And then JD Davis had a home run from that spot. And so, you know, he seems to, it seemed like for a couple of weeks there, every decision Callaway made, whether it was the, like, by the book's right decision or not, was coming back to bite him. And this week, it seemed like so far, every decision he's made, whether it's the dumbest thing you can imagine, has worked out for him. And that's just how management goes. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason to to being able to judge a manager's decisions because it's also it's one small piece in a game that is made up of thousands of small pieces. So it's very hard to isolate blame or credit when something goes right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a sport where, and I love, I love it to death, but we're talking about a sport where it is possible, maybe not likely, but it is possible that a team genuinely gets unlucky for 162 games. Right. And that difference in being genuinely unlucky over a course of a full season could be the difference between a winning record and a losing record, um, a modest winning record and a playoff contending record. You know, some really big changes can happen based on on very small things, to your point. But in in defending him, the... I think the bigger point is just the roster construction is by far the most important thing. Yes. And, you know, I mean, we, we've, as a site over the years, we, we've mocked things that, you know, sound like they might be BS or they're, they're not quantifiable. Um, <clears throat> chemistry being certainly one of them. But, but along the way with doing that, you know, it's easy for everybody to be happy and like each other when you're winning a bunch of games. Right. That's just uh, how could it not be? You know, if, if wherever you worked, if you're in a business and the business was cratering for like, uh, you know, several quarters. That's how business people talk, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> several quarters in a row. Uh, I'd imagine the mood would be kind of bad. Right. Uh, whereas if you were soaring, you might not pick up on every little thing that annoys you about the person who, you know, sits at the desk over from you. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's nice that we're in a spot that we aren't talking about Jim Merglemann is the interim manager and the Mets have lost seven games in a row or it would have been more than that, but you know, they've lost their last seven games. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It feels it feels good. It does. It does. And hopefully with the Tigers coming into town, they're really scrambling right now 
So maybe the Mets can put together a longer winning streak and begin to make up some of the distance in the uh, in the National League East. So we shall see. Chris, what's your uh, music recommendation for this week? Oh, man. Uh, okay, I'm doing it uh, sight unseen, so to speak. <laughs> okay. But because they're awesome, uh, you'll be shocked to hear it's a band from Australia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But Amo and the Sniffers, it's officially they put out their first album as we're recording this because it's tomorrow in Australia. Okay. Um, but on the day this podcast hits the internet, it will be out today. Um, so officially it's their first record. They We have a record that they had put out. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Uh, if you do it, totally on your own and then you're on a label and you put it out the the label one gets called your first record right yeah there have been a few bands that have been that way um but yeah so it's four-piece band three guys on guitar bass and drums and amel is the uh female lead singer front person and the music is good and solid and i'll just say that you know it's gonna be a fun record without having heard anything off of it yet I'll still recommend it. And they are playing, I think, Market Hotel in July. And uh, I'm telling you, there isn't a better front person other than like Iggy himself still <laughs> performing. Um, but there's not a better front person of a band that's come around in a very long time. And she is awesome. So I'll recommend the record. And I, I would even more strongly recommend that show um so yeah to uh to evoke the holy name of iggy is uh pretty pretty bold there my friend i know she's that good i don't say it lightly most people who only have a microphone are either good at it or or not good at it (laughs) um (laughs) sure she she exceeds both of those okay Wow, I'm uh, I I am legitimately excited to check them out now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. All right. Um, my uh my pick for this week is so on the 10th of May, I went to go see um a couple of bands really like Pedro the Lion and uh, John Vanderslice opened the show, and I don't know if anyone out there is a John Vanderslice fan. He is a uh, singer-songwriter. He's also a producer and recording studio owner. He owns Tiny Telephone Studios in San Francisco and Oakland and has produced everybody from, like, Death Cab for Cutie and Beulah and uh, Deer Hoof and all these amazing bands at his studio. And he released an album called The Cedars earlier this year, and it's very, very different for him. It's a lot of synthesizers and a lot of really cool weird old analog synthesizers used in ways you wouldn't normally expect, but it's mixed with relatively traditional songwriting. So there are some songs that have some guitar on it, but mostly it's just sort of synths and uh, drums and things like that. And, but they're really like solid, great songs just done in this really unusual way. And uh, there's a really great, like five minute documentary about the making of it that he put online where he basically says that the album is inspired by there's this weird plot of land in um I believe it's Sonoma County where it's a part of a nature preserve and they only do a tour of it once a year and it's called the Cedars. 
And it's very, ah. very hard to get to. And it's just this geographic anomaly. So it kind of looks like Mars there. Okay. And so okay. he has he has this like obsession with this place he's never been able to get to. So every year he's on tour when they do the like the one day they bring a tour group in there. Um it was his mythical area. And he was also super depressed, and so he started microdosing LSD and wrote all these songs. So, okay. <laughs> so there's a, there's like a really interesting, weird psychedelic element to his music for this one record. It's really good and weird, and I highly recommend it. The Cedars by John Vanderslice. Nice. All right. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we just had Met's assistant general manager of Systematic. I already forgot his official title. Of Systematic. Data. Data something. <laughs> Data stats. Uh, hang Advanced. On. I'm gonna. I'm, I have it right here. Systematic development. The Met's ah. assistant general manager of Systematic development, Adam Guttridge, on the show yesterday. So uh, check that out. He's he was a super nice guy. A lot of fun to talk to. Um, check that out. Check out a pot of their own. Check out From Complex to Queens, Unformidable. Our shows are doing so great right now. They're just doing such great work. I'm so proud of all of them. It's super great. Uh, I've said great a lot, but check them all out. Go to AmazingNavenue.com where you can check out all the writing we're doing, not just audio stuff, but writing. You can follow the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find this show. And you can follow me and Chris on Twitter. He's at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Dinap. And we are out of time. So until next time, let's go Mets. <laughs>